Hi everyone, um, thank you for joining us on today's webinar. Um, it looks like we've got people joining from all, of, all over the globe, which is great to see. So I hope everyone is excited to talk about corporate development. Um, before we get going, just a quick reminder that we will have a dedicated question and answer section at the end. So if you do have any questions, and get them over to us. Um, we do have a, a Q&A function um, throughout the discussion, so we'll do our best to get as many answers as possible, <laughs> depending on how long we get going. But um, yeah, it should be a fascinating discussion around kind of how to identify companies and create best business development opportunities within corporate development. So um, <clears throat> obviously we sent across the process of what we're doing today. So mentioned what we're going to talk about, which is covering strategies to identify companies and, and market opportunities, the structure and processes, the acquisitions or exit plans, and then the integration phase and then much more if we can. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, before we get stuck in, I think it just makes sense to get better introduced. So firstly, I'm Adam. I'm a principal consultant here at CM Life Science. Um, in short, CM Life Science is a talent solutions business, which solves, well, it serves a global life science market. So fundamentally, I'm in IVD. That's where I specialize. But we're not only here to listen to me, though. <laughs> I think we have two very high prestige guests that I'm excited to introduce, who between both of them have over 20 years experience in corporate development. So firstly, Antonio, do you want to kick us off and, and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Happy to, Adam. Um, my name is Antonio Sanchez Cordero. Uh, my background is a law. I'm an attorney by background. And so I, I guess from a, from a legal caveat here, um, this is not going to be corporate development advice, just sharing our thoughts and, and our experiences on the topic. But um, um, I, after law school, I started my own business, uh, distributing medical equipment in certain European countries. I sold it and attended business school. And since then, I've, I've had the pleasure of living and working in countries as different as Brazil, Spain, the UK, and, and the US. And I focused the last 10 years doing corporate strategy and M&A uh, in healthcare. Um, I currently lead strategy and M&A for Thermo Fisher Scientific's uh, diagnostics platform. Um, had other roles before, Beckton Dickinson, uh, PDI, and, and I've also spent time on the private equity side, uh, which has been extremely helpful to understand the perspective and the, me the methodology from the institutional investor side. Perfect. And, and Nick? Hey, I'm Nick Talbot. Um, I started my career in uh, public accounting, moved on to financial services and a couple of private equity firms out of Chicago, Illinois. I don't have the global uh, range of experiences that Antonio has. Um, I, I landed at Medtronic about eight years ago, um, spent a couple of years in the corporate group and then led uh, business development for the diabetes group for about five years um, before joining Beckton Dickinson. So right now I'm a vice president of corporate development for Beckham Dickinson, covering our interventional segments, so our surgery businesses, peripheral intervention, neurology, critical care. Perfect. Thank you both. So, yeah, let's let's get, I guess, straight into it. And I think the first part we're going to discuss was was identifying companies and the market opportunities. Um, I think this is a key area of, of corporate development of kind of identifying that side. So, Antonio, do you want to share some thoughts on on the importance of this? Yeah, happy to, um, Adam. And, and you know, thanks for organizing this. I, I think it's important that we talk about corporate strategy and corporate development. We talk uh, about deals a lot, but we, I don't think we talk enough about the why and the how. And, and I think it's never too early to start thinking about corporate strategy in M&A, uh, particularly as a potential target if that's your likely exit. Um, it, it might not be the right time within your, your you know, the, the maturity of your company to have a full corporate development team. But I think that the leadership of the company needs to think about these topics and, and have the right advice. And 
and hopefully this webinar and, and other initiatives like this will will help some of these these folks you know keep this topic sort of uh, front and center. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think this 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 area right the, the the beginning of it is is the most relevant phase and the least discussed the what and the why and and I think the you know, um, if you if you do a flawless job acquiring the wrong company or acquiring a company for the wrong reasons, the overall returns might not be great. So I think having that alignment with the business leaders, yeah. right? Um, having the priorities of the company uh, clear. Um, I repeat to to my teams and a half for for quite a long time. We're here to help execute and make a reality of the business growth priorities. And so I think it, it begins with that very honest conversation about who we are and what are our strengths and capabilities and what is that aspirational vision uh, for the business and the markets that you compete in and, and all sort of kind of grounded on, on data and a bit of a customer centric approach. So I think that, you know, from then on building that roadmap on how you get there, what, what are you missing? How can you add it? You know, whether it's a buy, it's a build, it's a partner. And so I think that these are all, you know, in my mind that, that that's the beginning of the discussion. It's a, it's a very strategic discussion you know, it then leads to deals, but it starts with your own strategy, it starts with your own capabilities, you know, with that sort of roadmap. And then you can you can figure out what pieces of the jigsaw you want to keep adding from then on. Okay, great. And I know, Nick, you had some um, thoughts from kind of financial side of it as well. I guess from the financial side, so we always have great business partners in the business development groups who are working on you know, landscaping areas of interest, you know, reaching out, touching base with technology so they know what the market landscape is and where they potentially want to go from a strategic standpoint. Um, from a corporate standpoint, we spend a little bit more time thinking about capital allocation and we largely view R&D dollars in the budget for that in a similar fashion we do M&A dollars in the budget for that. You know, so we're looking at how do we invest in continued innovation and how do we use those two buckets effectively together. Great, and I mean, what would make the ideal target then, Antonio? Um, I think that that is, it's a great question. It's a complicated one, right? Because it depends on, as the acquirer, what are you trying to do with that target, right? Are you trying to increase your market share? Are you trying to add capabilities? Are you trying to, you know, expand your portfolio? Um, I, I think the answer will be slightly different. I think generally speaking, um, I think showing, you know, obviously you're trying to decrease the risk, right? You, as, as the company matures and you achieve certain milestones, effectively what you're doing is you're de-risking that, that, that company. And that's uh, generally how the acquirer will perceive it. I think um, some of those milestones are more process driven and some more are sort of, you know, um, market fit validation. And I think generally I would, I would prefer to see, so rather than the fact that you've got clearance, which is a great, you know, regulatory clearance is a great milestone, but, but I would prefer to see commercial traction, right? Because again, there, there's, there's a lot of products that have been cleared that never really made it, you know, became super successful commercially speaking. So I think those those customer driven milestones tend to be more relevant as when we look at companies. Uh, but of course, there, there, there's a there's a level of you know there's a, there's a number of milestones in that process, and all of them are relevant. And so I think focusing on those, um, I think the second piece item is understanding when you're talking to a potential acquirer, understanding what do they see in the target, right? What what are they interested? Um, and and trying to understand how can you make it easy for them. At times we have situations where. You know, we have limited information as we should probably, but we, we don't have information of the right perspective that would help us get more comfortable with with um, with certain opportunities. So I think trying to put yourself in the shoes of the other person, right? And, and, and you know, showing them the things that will make him or her see that opportunity. I think that, that makes it an ideal target. 
from my perspective. I would agree that there's not necessarily a perfect answer there. You know, it really depends on the space, you know, market dynamics and um, company specific criteria. So, you know, I might look at deals in the life sciences space or the medical device space, for example, and based off the different development costs, regulatory pathway, et cetera, it might be a different deal profile that we potentially go after in each space. And at corporate, that's where we spend a lot of time. You know, what are the transaction specific dynamics that are happening in the market? You know, what do we need to do to make sure that we're, you know, remaining competitive and we're interesting to some of the top targets and engaging with them. And also we're spending a lot of times with the, with um, the financial advisors to make sure that, you know, we're catching the reactive MA. If there's someone who's in need of, you know, a finance or something like that to continue innovating on an interesting technology, you know, we learn about it and we have the opportunity to consider it. You know, whereas the business development is doing a lot more work saying, hey, this is where we need to go for our business. And they're doing kind of the proactive landscaping. So um, corporate, we're helping from uh, how does this rack and stack across, your, across the organization, what's happening in deals in the market, and uh, making sure that we build a relationship so you know we know about the opportunities as they come up. Great. Yeah. And I mean, from a recruiter's perspective, I attend a lot of events and conferences around the world. I'm quite lucky to do that. And from our perspective, there's a lot of VD there. I mean, do you use these events as well? I know JP Morgan's just been and gone. I know there's a lot of companies who attend that for, for that reason. Do, do you use these like we do? Um, we do. Adam, I'll, I'll give you my take. Um, yes, I, I think we're all trying to figure out what the new normal is post-COVID, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, and, and so at, at the same time, you, you got to balance, you know, the productivity of being away from the office for like three or four days and, and you know, but I think we use them at least I use them in two ways. I think on one side is to maintain some of those relationships to to Nick's point, right? You want to know, I think in my mind, one of the ways to be successful in doing this is to, to either to get to the right place um, and to get to the place earlier than others. And I think the second part, right, is, is having those relationships and knowing about that someone is considering selling, right, before they actually hire a banker and start a process. I mean, when, when you get the call from the banker and the teaser, it's probably already too late if you wanted to to have a good chance of acquiring that business. So I think going to this this event, maintaining this relationship, you know, it goes a long way to to knowing you know things before they become public. Um, and, and so I think that's that's helpful. I think the other piece is particularly from an from an expansion perspective. At times, you know, we have the teams and they look into they find their hunting grounds and then go and try to understand the landscape. At times, going to some of these events is helpful to understand. What, what other businesses are next to where we are, right? What other disciplines, what other segments? And so it, some of that is, is, is primary and secondary market research, but some of that is also, you know, getting, you know, out there and, and, and meeting companies and having those conversations. Uh, for a lot of these topics, the answer is not in the boardroom, right? The answer is not in the office. Sometimes you need to understand where your technology and your product is and how does it compete and what, what's happening next to it. You know, particularly if, if I think about healthcare, a lot of the times, you know, understanding you know, the actual, the actual call point, you know, how, how, you know, that value creation happens is, is helpful. So I'd say whether it's the more or the sort of financially oriented ones like, like JP Morgan, or whether it's sort of more, you know, trade shows, like, you know, discipline oriented trade shows, I, I see value in those. You just have to be selective. That's, that's my take. Great. And I mean, going into them events, um, I know we've met at Medica before, Antonio, um, do you, plan who you're going to meet do you do you or just go in there quite blind and and be quite open-minded on on what you might see technology wise um i'm still learning how to do it better to be honest um (laughs) adam i i I try to have always time to walk the floor and i've realized you know for a few years now that i never really have the time to walk the floor so um i i think 
the reality is that you allocate two days and you end up having 20 meetings and, and not a lot of time uh, outside of those meetings. But yeah, I try, I try to, I mean, part of, you know, particularly again, from an expansion perspective, part of the, the challenge is you don't know what the right answer is, right? And, and so you need to, you know, in a way, allow you to, to see and learn about new things. And sometimes, you know, you're able to connect the dots differently. So, so I try to do my best to do that, um, not always easy. Great. And Nick, just for you quickly, I mean, what milestones do companies need to hit before companies, before you start them conversations? Do they have to have significant funding or um, what do you look out for generally? Um, no, it's really more when it passes the business development filter. And as we said, that can be a range of milestones, you know, based off the industry market dynamics at the time. Um, but so typically from a corporate perspective, you know, we're getting more involved once our business development colleagues have you know, gone through a landscape, you know, they've had to, the opportunity to talk to multiple technologies. They thought about what do we think matters? What solves, you know, the customer pain point the best in this specific market? And therefore, like which technologies is emerging to the top of our funnel is saying, hey, this would be interesting for us. And, you know, this meets the end market criteria that we're looking for. You know, this meets the competitive landscape dynamics that we're looking for. You know, we're viewing this as like an attractive uh, path to an accretive uh, or attractive financial profile. So we, from a core perspective, we get in a little bit later. So I think we use the conferences from a, a little bit different perspective. You know, the business development teams know the landscape more intimately. You know, we'll schedule meetings for one, or maybe we're close to more advanced discussions. Um, so a lot of those times, it's just great being a person, you know, getting that personal engagement and building that relationship versus, you know, a lot of times we'll be interacting over Zoom these days um, leading up to it. So I'm, I'm happy that the conferences are back and being full and they get those you know, touch points, you know, prior to potentially any sort of negotiation or uh, transaction discussions. I mean, this is an this is a significant element of trust, right, in, in, in corporate development M&A, you know, in between the parties from the beginning. Um, alignment and trust, I think, in my mind, are the two fundamental, you know, uh, pillars of, of, of a good relationship um, in this in this area. And and we need to, to, to Nick's point, right? I mean, it's easy to default to a Zoom, to a Zooms or a Teams call these days, but but it's it's also harder to build that trust and that um, and, and and that relationship um, digitally. So I think we're, we're I think one of the questions for me, and, and I'm still trying to answer that, uh, is is what's the right balance, right? I mean, of, of in-person time versus versus Zoom calls, and and so again, I think some of these conferences are helpful. You know, sometimes in-person meetings and, and trips uh, need, need to happen. But I, I think we'll we'll see where we settle on this, you know, given that we come from, a, you know, a couple of years of doing everything virtually, right? And now we go back to, you know, to, to the way it was before. So it'll be interesting to see where we land. Great. Yeah, it's, it's perfect way to round that off. And I think we're moving into the next section now and, and kind of the process from here um, and, and the structure of, of putting a deal together. So... Um, I know Nick, you had quite a few thoughts on this in, in terms of the process. Um, yes, uh, do you want to get us going? Sure. Yeah. Process. So we talked about, you know, what does it look like? You know, potentially getting to a term sheet. And what do the negotiations potentially look like? And what do the diligence and deal documents look like as you work through it? Mm -hmm. um, question on everyone's mind. And I think that, you know, those phases are distinctly different. So, you know, pre-term sheet. You know, we're mostly in you know, relationship building, understanding your technology. And we greatly like to have open conversations so we can, you know, learn about the benefits of your technology relative to the rest of the landscape. You know, typically more senior people are involved. Our R&D teams are helping with technical assessments. Our marketing teams are helping with landscape assessments. We're getting a high level view um, and building a relationship at that point in time. You know, once we've 
have this view and think that it's a right fit from a cultural and transaction perspective. We want to progress it to a pitch. And that's typically where we enter the, the term sheet deal negotiation stage. And so um, sometimes we'll preview with you what might be coming or what might work, you know, from our perspective to get an open discussion or make we're taking the right format to the investment committee. If we're feeling that there's a little bit more clarity about what the best fit for both parties is, sometimes we'll just take those and then submit the term sheet to you after the fact. Um, but those are typically, you know, interesting discussions, negotiations, and the goal is always to have both parties open, speak early, and talk about what works for us or what are the meaningful components to us, because that's what helps us kind of solve problems and get to the right end point where you can move to the next stage. Um, from a diligence perspective, you know, if you have a strong corporate business development team, you should make sure they're outlining a clear plan for you. So talking about when they're going to submit questions, you know, when they're expecting to have functional deep dives with some of your key management team members, and you know, when they expect responses to the questions, you know, when their review processes are to get the next level of approvals. Um, so just aligning on a plan is key there to make sure it goes smoothly and opening the communication. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as I think about those processes, you know, it can often be a you know four or five month process. You know, there are times where we certainly move faster, but um, if you think about the average large corporate acquirer, we typically have investment meetings every once in a month. So getting approval to a term sheet may take a month or two. Um, diligence may take a month or two transaction documents. Sometimes it takes a week or two between each, you know, revolution sent between each company. So make sure that you plan accordingly. Uh, but this isn't something that closes overnight, but um, we move fast as fast as we can within our processes and guidelines, um, but definitely plan accordingly. It could be a little bit of a drawn out process. Okay, perfect. And have you got anything to add to that, Antonio? I think covered quite a lot there. I think that was I think that was comprehensive. Um, so not much to add from a process perspective. I think as as you do that and as you think through that from a target perspective, right? Understanding the stakeholders map, right? Um, who, who's involved and why, and and how can it make it easier, right? Um, understanding who's your your internal champion, uh, right? It, it's important. But also trying to I found this very helpful. Try to have relationships at different levels, right? I mean. You know, the, the complexity of, of some of these companies is such that um, there might be different levers um, as, as you as you hopefully get to know different people. You can make sure that there's sort of a bit of an homogeneous stake and, and feedback. And I think that would help you kind of be relevant. So I, I think that that piece, as well as understanding sort of the the, the relevance and the priorities on both ends uh, so that there, that alignment continues throughout. I mean, sometimes you have situations where there's a you know, high degree of alignment at the beginning. And then as those four months that Nick just mentioned unfold, there's changes on you know, either end. And if the alignment, if you don't maintain the alignment at some points, it can be a, a frustrating situation for one of the parties. So I think that you know, making sure that, and that at the end of the day, it goes back to trust to their relationship, but also communication, right? So I, I, I think, um, it, it's helpful to have those sort of throughout that process that Nick covered before. Okay, great. Yeah, I can't, just Sorry. piggyback. I can't stress how important communication and building, you know, direct one-on-one -on -one relationships with kind of key decision makers that the company are throughout the process. Just because you know, large corporate requires will staff large teams, so have a lot of functional experts in you know regulatory, clinical, quality, you know, already all these all these components. And if we don't have open communications, you don't tell us what's bothering you, you know, us as corporate and business development leaders can't go and try to help solve it. So like frequently things that we'll hear is that, you know, specific function may be just going too deep or spending too much time focusing on smaller items. And like that. you know, we can't help smooth that process unless you're talking to us, letting us know, you know, sometimes there are certain 
deal components, which are huge negotiation points within your board of directors and are hard to get over. And if you don't tell us, we can't then think about how we can potentially accommodate that and then tell you what's super, what's incredibly important for us to get it past our investment committees. So um, the deals where we've been able to develop those personal relationships with key decision makers just always go better and have those open direct conversations throughout the process. Great. I, yeah. I would just add, um, I'm sorry, I would add that um, I think one of the worst things for the M&A deal are surprises, right? I think um, we can we can deal with pretty much anything, right? If it's communicated, you know, at the right time and, and we can, let's say there's, there's you know, something to do with IP or something to do with, you know, distributor somewhere else or, or some, like, if we know about it, we can assess the risk. We can try to understand and mitigate the risk. The challenge becomes when it's not being communicated and at some point, you know, it unearths at sort of the 11th hour and then becomes a problem, right? And then we might not have the right tools to mitigate it or to understand it in detail. And obviously, you know, we're sort of in, in the business of minimizing risk, right? And and so when, when that becomes a challenge, you know, sometimes, you know, a deal that made a lot of sense might not go through because the level of risk kind of becomes, you know, intolerable for the decision makers. Perfect. Now it's um, leads really well into the next part of, of the, the next topic, and that's ac around acquisition or exit, and kind of the steps throughout that, and and what really happens. Um, you, you may have covered certain points there, but more from the strategic side. Um, I mean, Antonio, you had some good pointers on this leading into the, the webinar. Um, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, I think I think for me, it's 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 what are we trying to do, right? I mean, and, you know, I think a different company may have slightly different process, but for us, you know, it, it, you know, whether it's an expansion or it's complementing our portfolio in certain areas, it's about you know what's the strategic rationale, right? What what does the ideal target look like? And then I think one of the challenges here, we have a tendency to jump into sort of um, assessing targets, right? Company A, company B, um, and and at times it's important to take a step back and what are we trying to do here and why and and what is the ideal um, target. Because then you can compare sort of you know the different target different companies against that ideal uh, profile and and it becomes more of a data driven discussion rather than it, it, I think we all sometimes kind of fall in love with with the targets you know one way or another and so I think you know trying to keep the discussion as unbiased as possible is helpful um, and and I think then understanding you know to your point about acquisition or exit right what, what are the goals or priorities on you know on each side and, and particularly on the target side right what what are they trying to do what do they want to do post acquisition. Um, any limitations or constraints, particularly on the acquirer side, right? I mean, you know, there we all have sort of guidelines in terms of the type of targets that work from a size, from profitability, and and so on. So I think here, um, understanding that well prior to that discussion about you know what is really that we're doing is relevant. Um, I think you know sometimes you can get creative, right? There's if you know those challenges or those constraints, and you know what is the end goal. There, there's ways to structure things. Um, in a way that that it serves the purpose uh, for both parties, but but it's important to have that communication early. Okay, <clears throat> great. And Nick, anything on on there as well? I just say I think most parties are flexible on the range of tools in their in their toolkit. Just as far is this an acquisition today? You know, an asset or stock deal? You know, is this a structured deal? We're going to invest in you to support commercialization or do a distribution agreement and then potentially acquire down the line a pre-negotiated deal? Are we going to invest? in equity, convertible debt, you know, debt. So there's this whole range of options, JVs that we potentially use. And so we really try to sit there and say, well, what matters to us? What do we think matters to you? And then come up with a framework that works best for that. Um, we're not always great at, you know, knowing what matters for you as you tell us, but you know, that's the process we work through. You know, what, 
both parties need to be interested and excited for everything to work. So uh, we try to think of this toolkit and how, how can we best apply it. Sure. And, and just on that final point, sorry, Adam, okay. I, I, Nick is absolutely right. Um, it's important to communicate those. I mean, I, I've heard this myth that you should pretend that you're not interested in selling a company, right? And and and, and I can't, I sort of understand what, why you would be coming from that perspective, but the reality is if you tell us you're not interested in selling, right? And we want to enter that space, we might have to go and think about a plan B or, or you know, look at your competitors or, and, and so I, I think sometimes that, that communication at the right time and with the right, you know, individuals, it's very important so that we can figure out which, which tool within that toolkit we, we use for, for this. Great. And it, I mean, the common theme here seems to be communication um, all the way through seems to be a, a key theme. And just one question for me here, Antonio, um, how do you ensure that alignment throughout the process is, is there? It, that must be difficult at times. Well, I'm not going to be very creative here with communication, right? I mean, I, I think it is it is having that ongoing dialogue. It's, it's not letting weeks go by. I mean, sometimes you you have a timeline, right? As to, to Nick's point before, you have a four-month timeline and, and you know what everybody's doing at the time. And then you think, okay, well, everybody's doing their work. I don't need to do anything. Uh, I wouldn't let weeks go by without that, you know, regular communication, right? And with your internal champion, you know, understanding what is, how is it going, anything else you need, you know, providing updates, right? I mean, I think, again, the, the closer, uh, I, I think Nate sort of mentioned this in a more subtle way at the beginning, but um, any 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 large corporate part, right, has a multiple, you know, a number of projects, you know, how many projects that they're working on in parallel, right? And and, and any of these investment committees mentions, um, meetings he mentioned, there's multiple, you know, um, multiple opportunities, right? And, and part of the discussion is that capital location. Um, you know, I think it's important that you continue to be proactive from a target's perspective and, and, and make sure it's easy for, for us, you know, to keep you top of mind, to, to learn what you're doing, to learn any updates that we continue to give visibility to that opportunity um, in, in, in that discussion about capital location. Right. Um, sorry. Sad, like, communication is key. And, you know, we understand it's like, it's a stressful situation for the company. You know, they're really deciding what's the fate of my future. How do I know I'm you know, saying the right things, maximizing the value for my shareholders, you know, putting my employees who have just worked so hard with the last five or six years in the right position to, you know, enhance their future career development, et cetera. So um, it's stressful. So there are certain times, you know, where, you know, people do get guarded throughout the process. And, and sometimes, you know, we're dealing with other things internally that Antonio mentioned as well that, you know, and so it's, it's a two way street. So that's why it, it's hard. It's stressful on both sides. And so that's why it is, it is important. And that's why it's important we invest time in building those personal relationships, you know, throughout you know, any deal, the top decision makers at the other company, I'll make myself available, you know, 24 seven, just so they feel that comfort, you know, calling me midnight if they need to, if we have anything we need to work through. So, um, but we're harping on it. It's hard to build, but it's important to build as part of the successful transaction. Yeah. And so I think two, two final, uh, sorry, Adam, go ahead. No, you go, Antonio. Okay. I was going to say two final points here. I, I think one is that that aspect of, you know, we, I think Nick, Nick just mentioned, right, of asking for help or or just reaching out and saying, look, what about this? You know, I thought about this in my mind. Like, I, again, not not worrying and just picking up the phone and calling or texting, whatever it is. I think that at times we, we don't necessarily all do that. Uh, and, and we're, to Nick's point, right, we're, we're, we welcome those calls. We, we're open and available. I, I think the second point is that part of the challenge in my, you know, the last 15 years doing this is, it's for the target mostly, right? It's finding a balance between doing all this while still, you know, running a business, right? I think one of the lessons that I've taken away from this is, 
you know, never stop running your business. That should always be your priority, right? That should always remain, you know, top of mind. And so I think the old adage that businesses are not are bought, not sold is very true. And so when, you know, sometimes you see, you know, unfortunately people kind of focus on something else, you know, focus sort of on M&A versus the running the business, that sometimes become challenging. So I think, you know, one of my lessons, you know, that I've learned over the time is focus on running the business first and, and sort of, um, the, the business goes well, um, you know, I think that eventually, you know, the right, the right acquirer um, will buy it. Yeah. And I think from my part, we work with a lot of startup companies who are co-founded by whoever's running it. They're often now the CEOs. Um, and it's almost like them companies are, are their babies. So the trust element, which you mentioned, is going to be really important. Um, and the integration phase before joining this or putting together this webinar, we often deal with HR who have to deal with a lot of the integration of different teams. Um, so it'd be great to get some insight into this and who controls it and who you use both internally and externally to make sure that goes through as smoothly as possible. Um, so I'll Nick, say that yeah. <laughs> once, uh, I mean, once you make a decision to sell the company or the assets associated with the company, it's generally the acquirer's decision of how to do it. And when we think about it, you know, there are different ranges where you can do it. You know, you can more or less leave the company operating standalone. Um, you know, it might be a step sort of integration. It might be an all out integration day one. Um, and if you have a good partner throughout the process, you know, there should be an open dialogue around, although it's the acquirer's decision, like what's interesting, what do my people want to do? How do we best optimize, you know, the technology in your hand? You know, because there are certain cases where, you know, maybe the assets are, you know, the best piece to us because it fits with our R&D capabilities, fits with our sales capabilities, et cetera. You know, maybe you've developed something where you have a ton of interesting expertise on your end where it's really important for us to require and retain them. And what's the reporting structure that we're going to set up, you know, to optimize those talents and making sure that they're still motivated and working towards, you know, whether it is like the enhancements or next generation technologies, you know, that we're kind of interested as part of the deal. Um, so I'll say that there's not one size fits all. Um, we go through a range, a range of options, and we we try to have the conversation to say, you know, what do you want as a founder? Are you do you view yourself as interested and important to kind of running technology? And then your people, you know, what do they, what do they do? You know, the rest is a little bit more um, just mechanical as far as like, can we get you in our HR systems? You know, immediately, can we get you the right laptops, IT infrastructure? You know, all those pieces which are important. And burdensome and we need to do it well for to be off and running you know post acquisition but um really thinking about how the people the technology and how do we kind of maximize with our hand is how we drive the decisions great uh, the onboarding process is key isn't it for <laughs> yeah i think you mentioned yeah. in, the, in the last segment about um kind of making sure everybody who is okay all the time <laughs> is not just the oh. the technology which is leaving it's the people within who have built that company up and um yeah. And I'll say we, we recognize it's different. You know, you're, you're a startup or, you know, an earlier stage company, you know, you as the head of regulatory might be wearing six different hats, you know, within the company. And that's just a nature of it, you know, whereas you come into a large corporate and you might have six regulatory people ready to kind of work on this, you know, as a specific function. So it's, it's matching personalities, it's matching capabilities, and it's making sure that everyone's kind of used in a way that they're excited and happy and you know, delivering value um, to the opportunity, you know, post-mortem. Anything to add, Antonio, on that, just quickly? Yeah, I, th I think from my perspective, I mean, 
there's no one size fits all, right? Regarding integration, I think different companies approach it different way. Um, in some cases, there's we have a great integration management office at Thermo Fisher that kind of leads uh, that process. In other companies, it belongs sort of to the to the business or the division that is acquiring, you know, and integrating the asset. Um, I think in any case, for me, integration starts with due diligence, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's as early as possible that you start thinking, well, if everything goes well, if the diligence goes well, if, if I acquire this asset, how am I going to deal with it, right? And, and so I think the earlier you do that, the better, but it's also so that you can, you can, you can keep people accountable, right? If, if people that are assessing the company are going to be the ones that are going to have to integrate those respective functions, it becomes an easier conversation. It becomes a more comprehensive and, and, and holistic conversation from, from the beginning to the end versus you acquire a business and now someone has to integrate it, right? And that, that becomes a challenge. But um, but I think that, it, it, you know, as Nick said, it's, it's about adjusting to, to you know, the, the realities of each of the assets uh, and the founders. Great. Have you kind of landed on the best model for integration yet? Have you found uh, maybe some success stories which have, you maybe implemented again or recommended moving forward? I, I don't have a model, um, Adam. I think it, it goes back to, again, it, it depends on how the, you know, the acquired structure and then, you know, so the priorities of, of, of the sellers, of the founders. And um, I think I think tailoring to the needs is probably, you know, my, my best recommendation here. I mean, that's effectively covered it from, <laughs> from our side. So uh, at this point, I think we're going to try and open it up a little bit. And we've had, questions coming in as we've been speaking so we've got one here what point of in the transaction lifestyle do you recommend to engage an integration team yeah antonio touched on this one a little bit on the last call but you know our integration teams will typically get involved involved in diligence so typically we have sort of an integration management office you know and we structure it all differently at different firms but there should be some level of you know, senior knowledgeable teams for each specific functions that are tasked with integrating it. Typically we will staff a leader as a diligence leader as well. So they'll understand the process, strategic thinking of the transaction, you know, what all the data points and diligence readouts have been. So they'll get a good comprehensive view of, you know, what is this company that, you know, we're potentially acquiring and who are the people that we've been dealing with associated with it. And then that helps them better transition to integration day one. So you, you may not know it as you're working with them, but, um, they're often there in the diligence teams. Right. And I would, I think that's, I agree 100%, Nick. I would just add that the fact that we don't involve the integration team doesn't mean that we're not thinking about integration from the beginning, right? I mean, I would separate to my previous point. I think it's important to start thinking about integration from day one, but obviously, you know, the integration team will get involved at the right time, uh, given process. So, so I would, I would separate those two things. Another question was, do you have any tips in terms of managing tension between corporate and business unit M and A priorities. I, I can take. I'll I'll take it, um, and you can you can add Nick. Um, so I I think so. The way I, I see this topic right is I as I said before I, I you know for me the alignment with the business leaders right from a from a business perspective is is very important because I I tell my teams we don't have priorities we're here to serve the priorities of the business leaders and as it relates to growth and specifically in organic growth. So. Um, I, I see the corporate development function similarly. I, I, I think the, the complexity here is the, the business unit perspective, right? And and and, and um, aspirations and, and and criteria need to fit sort of the corporate criteria, right? And, and so I, I think if you spend enough time aligning upfront, right, on 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 the hunting grounds, right, and the criteria of the right target, 
um, there shouldn't be tension on the road, um, again, because everything should, should fit. I think the challenge becomes, and I, I don't think I can stress enough the relevance of that alignment up front, because I've seen, I've seen situations where, you know, the business development team or a specific, you know, business will run with a target, you know, with a specific opportunity because they love it, it makes sense, but it's not really aligned with corporate or venue, the layers in between. And, and so it gets to the point where, you know, three months later, there's, there's the, the investment community or even before there's a decision, there's a decision needs to be made and there's not that level of alignment. And then it's, you know, it's frustrating for everybody involved. And it's been a, you know, a lot of time spent on something that, you know, had you had that discussion early on, we would have all agreed that, yes, this is not a priority. This is not the way we should spend our time and our resources. So I think, I think that frustration, which, which I think it, you know, um, I think it can be best avoided or, or minimized, maybe not avoided, but minimized with enough communication again, but particularly alignment um, upfront in terms of priorities. And, and, and again, th those, those levels need to coexist, right? It need to, need to be aligned from, from the get-go. Great. Uh, I was say, Antonio and I lived this uh, relationship from this time back to Dickinson. So Antonio was the business development leader at uh, one of our businesses, Peripheral Intervention, that uh, falls under interventional. So, um, We've had the experience personally. I mean, to his point, it's you know how do you how do you have open direct communication so I can tell him you know informally, hey, here's what's selling at corporate. You know, here are the reasons why. Here we experience from the other business units as far as like things not working or working. Um, so it's you know there's a informal top down conversation to say, hey, I don't know what the answer is, but here's what's working, here's not, and here's why, and the feedback we've received on it. And that can then help him kind of filter, well, here's the range of opportunities that we're interested in considering. And let's talk about how these might fit into that profile to make sure that um, in, in the end, you know, where potentially we get a bad rap is if we're inaccurately communicating what we can do to, to the outside party. And so our goal is yeah. always like, can we be tied enough together that we can give, you know, accurate statements that we deliver on, you know, when we're interacting with the outside party. So that's that's the level of uh of clarity that we that we work to get to um it is a real issue so whoever um whoever asked that question maybe lived it in a, in a bad way you know we try to solve it with just good communication internally perfect i i i think that's sorry adam that's uh, spot on right and i think the, the one thing is the best communication will not prevent the fact that priorities change right priorities change sometimes at the business level uh at the corporate level right and so sometimes you do that and and some you know priorities change and and i think that 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 will lead to a natural source of frustration either on the target or or even internally and and unfortunately that's that's part of what we do and and we all need to be equipped to deal with that perfect and i think and the last point i'll the last point i'll highlight is any sort of changes from prior communication it's not always deal specific you know although we live in our world of the deals we're working on you know just there's a whole range of issues that could pop up you know there could be you know something in our earnings or you know strategic priorities of where we want to go next there are things change or big deals and other business units which then kind of take the pool before you know so there's things that happen which are out of our control sometimes too so it's not always a lack of communication um it's just you know it's a it's a complex matrix that we're managing and trying to deliver you accurate information to the best of our knowledge. Right. And I, I guess you both don't get to where you've got without making a few mistakes along the way. Um, do you have any lessons from your career so far, which might be useful to, to anybody watching this? Antonio, if you don't mind just kicking us off on that. Yeah, I'll go first. I, I think that 
So I think that uh, back to the the alignment, I, I've been in situations where I have not paid enough attention early in my career to alignment, right? And, and uh, either alignment between the business and corporate or between the business and the business development function. And so I, I think, you know, again, because of that situation, now I always make sure that that alignment is, is an, you know, an early of a discussion as possible and that it, you know, it continues throughout the process because I've been in situations where, you know, something, you know, looks like it's the right thing to do and, and you kind of, you and your team move forward. Um, and then um, that, that might not have the broad support that you need to get it across the finish line. And I think that that can be, and has been uh, at times a frustrating uh, experience for me or for, for some team members involved. Um, so. Okay. Right. And, and Nick? I, I, so the question is how to get from a regional, commercial or regional leader into corporate development, right? That's, yes, that's yes, correct? sorry, yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, I, I think that, um, I think there's there's more usual profiles and, and I'm sure Nick will cover this, you know, you know coming from investment banking or um, um, some consulting sometimes. Uh, but I also think that um, there's also a broad, you know, range of capabilities, you know, that can be very helpful to, to get into the business development or corporate development side. And, and so I think it's, uh, it might not be one unique path. I mean, for sure, I think investment banking is it's a great way to do it. But it, we we welcome people into our team with very different backgrounds, and they all contribute because of their capabilities. So I I, I don't know that there's a specific one, um, but I think I, I personally value a lot through the going back to my point before about expansion and understanding the space and and in business development for sure it's valuable the fact that you've been you know as a commercial leader in there and you understand the markets and the segments and you can you can use those capabilities in other segments in other markets so i i think that's a, a it's a good background um more from a business development perspective great and i'll i guess what i would recommend is you know if you're in a region we all know that you know potentially acquire technology and um how it competes and the commercialization strategy is different by market, you know, whether it's the U S different companies in Europe, you know, Asia, et cetera, it's, it's very different. So if you're in a specific market where you have specific knowledge, you know, if you're able to bring up good strategic thinking assets in my market for my market that sell well, because I know these market dynamics and you show a strong capability to do that consistently, I would say that that's the best relationship to build a, a or best way to build a, a good relationship with your business development or corporate development team. Great. And I think that, well, that seems like a great place for us to end. It's flown by the 45 minutes, that is for sure. Um, thank you so much to everybody who has joined. Um, if you do have any questions, then please feel free to drop me a message. I'm sure Antonio or Nick won't mind you connecting with them on LinkedIn. Um, they're often kind of posting relevant information on, on corporate development. Um, but yeah, a big thank you to, to both Antonio and Nick for, for joining us and, and planning um there's been a huge amount of information there um but yeah please don't worry if, if you have missed anything there will be a video link shared to anybody who to maybe revisit the conversation after the event so yeah please look out for that email um but yeah that's all from me thank you again and bye for now